Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we drew the map. My first band in Liverpool after the first band, which was the Spitfire Boys, the one that kind of where we started to really work was uh, Big in Japan. And with Ian Brody and Bill Drummond, um, maybe Holly, but we, we used to go down to, um, well, Holly didn't because Holly was only the bass player by default. <laughs> he, he was way too cool to be the bass player. Um, and he dressed too well. He was the best dressed of us. Um, but we'd go down to... Wait, which Holly? Hmm? Holly Holly Johnson from Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Oh, the, the Holly Johnson. Yeah. Wow. There was Holly, who was in the band, because I think he was best friends with Jane Casey, but actually Paul Rutherford, who also was in Frankie Goes to Hollywood, were, was... Fr- so Paul was the first singer in my in the Spitfire Boys. And then Paul didn't join Bing Japan, but Holly did. And we would in like, I think it was called Frank Hesse's, Hesse's Music Store, just around the corner from Matthew Street, which was just up the street from the Cardoma Cafe, where the four of us would sit there with a baked potato uh, eat between us. And um, if we were lucky, a cup of tea each. And, uh, you know, just to see what we could go around to Hesse's and just dream, you know, you just dream, plug guitars in and almost get a bit of rehearsing done as well. But, um, there was a kind of a the running gag really now is big in Japan were a super group before you know became we were the super group that we didn't know we were going to be because everybody only had any kind of um longevity after we broke up you know we all went off and did different things but um it was it was really was like the, that gang feeling that you, you describes so well, you know, with the young cure. Did you have a little gang 
Fred that you kind of eventually got together with? Oh yeah, there was like a, a group of like maybe five of us or something that we just always we were obsessed with listening to records, figuring out parts to records. You know, learn that was like a sport. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, oh, no, this is the baseline. Yeah. Or this is the drum part. Well, that yes, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of like a, a version of a little music gang, and it was the best. It was just so great. Or, or one of us would get a new instrument, one of us would get a new bass. Where was the gang based? Long Island, Valley Stream, and that's where like you know this is like a suburb of New York. So once in a while we'd go into the city to see concerts and stuff. But we had um, a sort of new music station. That that's what exposed us and me to your guys' music was yeah. WLIR, uh, which turned, turned into WDRE. But that's oh, okay. they played you guys like crazy. So, and that's just a, you know that's radio. So there's no difference in my ears to like what station is what. I was like, this is a great station, and they played you guys all the time. It was it was great. Yeah. So I, in a really weird way. Even though I associate you with England, I also associate with you with Long Island. Right, right. No, I, I remember at that time it was really, really big. You know, they they did a documentary about it recently. Yes, yeah. And I I, I did some stuff with them for it, and it, I remember it was like the only place. You know, like when we first came to New York, we played Hurrahs. And I think it was like 1980, might have been been 79. And the only station we heard us on was that. You know, there wasn't anybody else. Everybody else was like, you know, they wouldn't have touched us. But um, no, it was great. Now you hear, hear yourselves in any German supermarket. Yeah, right? yeah, that gets very strange for me. <laughs> or the the thing that happened recently, I was I was buying a shirt with my wife and uh, my sister-in-law. And, uh, you know, I was in like this fancy, fancy shirt store and... There's two young shop assistants in their twenties, and a Cure saying, song came on, and they go, <laughs> they're talking to each other. My wife overheard this. They talk to each other. They go, oh, I quite like this band. Uh, do you like them? And the other one went, Yeah, yeah, they're good. And she said, Do, do you think they're on tour now or anything? And, <laughs> and the, other one, the other one went, They're too old. No, they're too old. <laughs> and my my wife and my sister-in-law, I turn around and they're lying on the ground, you know, <laughs> laughing their heads off, you know. So, you know, did they also say, I, I bet you if one of the cure walked in here, he wouldn't dream of, of shopping in this shop because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you say anything? Yeah. Didn't, were you tempted to say, hey, guess what? No, no, I, I, I was tempted, but I thought, you know, it, it, it might uh, upset. It's like when I walk down the street and I see people who are either going to be goth or are goth and I walk straight past them and they, I don't say anything. Do you not go like do 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 That's me. Then I'm just you know I'm just another old old adult. You know that's what that is. You know it's very funny sometimes. They have to be in the right place. You know like I went to see the the guys play at the Hollywood Bowl. And of course, you know, I walk in there and everybody <laughs> knows who I am. But if I walk down the street, although when I get going to like Whole Foods or something and I haven't shaved and I've got my daggy tracks on and that, that's the time, you know this, Fred, everybody comes up to you and goes, aren't you? Oh, I love you. And you're like, uh, no, I should wash, wash my teeth or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And is it, is it that, is it that they don't, 
notice that you haven't brushed your teeth and you've got your like baggy sweats on and all the rest it, they just see the person they want to see is that what's going on there it's like it's, it's like yeah. seeing the newscaster yeah so I, I never go out without the uniform on yeah what song is this I, I can remember oh no wait I'm in go on no no go, go ahead go ahead okay no no you go no no what's the song no 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 you go I'll name it in three <laughs> You know, when you were like, maybe, maybe like on the way up, or you might have even got to the first platform. So arriving back from the airport, say, back into London, <clears throat> and the taxi driver's going, uh, is either saying, um, I thought you guys had split up. And you go like, oh, no. Yeah. But, but they're kind of looking at you and you think they know who you are. Or they ask you, are you in a band? And around about that point, you'll say, yeah, I'm in a band. But you don't really want to say because you don't want to get the next question. Right. Mm. And then, you, then, then fast forward a couple of like a decade, and you're going. So what do you do? And they say, oh, you know, I used to be in a band. <laughs> they go, what band? What band was that then? And you, you either jump to it and go, Susan the Banshees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, they go, who? And you go, no. So then, you, so then you don't say who you were with, or you might say. I was with the Cure, actually, <laughs> or or Talking Heads. Yeah, it's got it's got it's got very weird for me now. Like two weeks ago, I was in London for for my new book. I was doing some events for that, and the taxi would come and pick me up at the hotel to take me to whatever I'm going to. And taxi drivers, yeah, probably like you know our age or whatever. And that it goes, oh, hello, Lol. <laughs> How are you? you? Still talk to that Robert? You talk to it? Yeah, they know straight away. They've Googled. Yeah, yeah. They, they know the name on the thing that's coming. They Google me. They find out, and then they get. Oh no, that doesn't count. No, you, well, you can't get away with it, and you know they're just going to keep going on, talk to you about it all. Yeah, you know, and you really know, you really know, you've kind of hit the other end of the the kind of um, year. That's some the kind of measuring device for what age, what, what where you're you're at, is when faced with a a, a classroom or of kids. Yes, you know, be like you're teaching. But you you say so okay so who's heard of like and you try and think of the most current artist and they've never heard of them it's, and then they mention seven that you just don't know no you, that's how far I know it goes so fast it goes so fast that yeah. way <laughs> um, yeah I, there, there was there was a time in Las Vegas recently where uh, people saw me on this like a little. Um, like a tram, like it's a little train right. thing. And they freaked out and they go, oh my God, it's Bill Hader. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a cast member of, uh, that I was with on Saturday Night Live. Right. And they were right. so convinced. Right. And, you know, we don't look anything alike. It's just that they get names and faces confused. So I just went with it. But <laughs> it's pretty wild that, like, that it could be that, you know, wrong. Now, the other thing that happens is, is you know, I, I do like these – events for the book and that and just sign everybody's book at the end and they're people from 16 till 60 but the worst bit is when you get somebody that comes up to you and they're about 19 and you think oh that's great they like the book of that and they go can you sign this it's for my dad oh yeah my dad loves you oh yeah it's not say for my granddad yet yeah my dad thinks you're really cool i don't <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who you are. Yeah, but will you do it for him anyway? Because you know. Yeah, it's it's still nice because they're sometimes they're so friendly that it's it's okay.
Um, I have a question um, about Liverpool because, like, I can't get a sense of uh, how supportive bands were of each other. Um, when I talk to bands from London, sometimes they're not supportive of each other. Sometimes they're a little bit like, no, we were in a different camp than whoever. What was your relation? What was the city's relationship to the following bands? Echo and the Bunnymen. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a little later, the Laws. The Laws were a little later because we were already working with Mike Hedges and Mike Hedges could not get that song finished. Um, what was the Lars huge hit? There she goes, there she goes again. And apparently they did about a you know, hundred versions of this song, but Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, I left Liverpool just before a lot of these bands kind of crept up. Ian McCulloch was there, Pete Wiley, Julian Cope. Bill Drummond was started up, um, what's it called, Zoo Records. And um, I remember talking to Les Pattinson, and um, he was the, he became the bass player with Echo and the Bunnymen. And I gave Les a cymbal from my kit. I said, when you get yourselves a drummer, right. he might need one of these. And then I, that was my parting gift. And I asked um, Will, did he remember um, Les coming around with a cymbal? And he, and he, I think he might have been being nice, but he said, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. Yeah, was that, was that yours? And I was thinking, oh, he kept it. He kept it. <laughs> but I don't know because I'd left. But, you know, I've, I've read Julian's book and it, it sounds like nothing had changed really. Because in, when I was there, it would be anybody who wanted to form a band. As soon as you got a band started, everybody else would try to sabotage your band. So if you had a gig, they'd try to hide your drum kit or make sure you got the wrong date or. I'll just cast bad press around Liverpool. It's only not, not a very big place. Jeez. Yeah. But it was bitchy, really bitchy. No way. And the prize bitches were definitely Paul Rutherford, Holly Johnson, and Peter Burns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they were just so good at it. You know, you could start rumors. Wait, Peter Burns, Peter Burns is us is uh Liverpool? Yeah, Dead or Alive. Yeah. Wow, Dead or Alive is Liverpool. And then, that's right, Teardrop Explodes. Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, Dalek, I Love You. They be, they were kind of a strange one. Uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. They were, they oh, were, that's right, of course. O- OMD. So what, what, what were they? What were they on the scene? OMD were like... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it's not good news for OMD. They were just... They were, they were ostracized. Oh. I'm sorry, guys. It was nothing oh. to do with me. But um, I think Jane and Holly just thought they were like, you know, fun to poke fun at because they had like pretty good synth setup. And the, the main guy, whose name just escapes me for the moment, with his bass. And he always did that kind of funny Enola Gay dance, you know. Yeah. It was a kind of swivel hipped kind of bass out front and, and a head shake as well. The head went. And, and and they were just like, yeah, they were destined for, for hits when we knew it. So we had to do something, you know. So you're not allowed to play on the main stage. You can, you they were like the pop guys. Yeah, and and, and they, they did so well. And so they, it didn't matter that we wouldn't let them on the main stage at Eric's. As if we had that power, we you know, we didn't really. But And it was terrible like that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you reminded me of something which I just realized that 
yeah, you're right, Fred, that the, the bands around London, you know, they weren't that friendly. We were friendly with the Banshees, but we weren't friendly with any of the other bands because they were rivals, really, to whatever we're doing. But when we left the London area and went to places like Manchester, people were friendly, and Liverpool. Like I can remember playing in Liverpool and uh, Mac coming to see us play and coming backstage afterwards chatting with us and they were friendly and then we went to manchester and pete shelley turned up and i spent a long evening talking with pete you know so from another city people were were supportive but from your own city no no never yeah everyone i talked to every you know people from my favorite bands who i've met when i asked them about other bands they were they're like no we did not hang out with them they don't have the same glee I, you know and i'm like did you hang out with this band and they're like nope <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't like I, I found in America that, like, especially in places like, well, like New York and like here, it's much more. Uh, it's the wrong word, but it feels right. Collegiate. It's like you know, they're, they're, we're all in it together. Yes, Seattle's like yeah. That. No, that didn't exist in in England by and large. You know, outside when you were going to a different place, maybe, That's but you know, wild. in your hometown, it was like uh, it's our gang and we got to take over tonight. If only those bands knew how all the the records are right next to each other in my collection. So they should have been friends. I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I think about it now, half those people come on this show with us and that, and we're all friendly, you know, because it's much later, but at the beginning, you know, in Crawley, we didn't really have any other bands. There was Neil Gaiman was lived there. He had a band and uh, he decided to give up. He said, because the only other band in his town was secure, but he went on to be this beautiful writer and did all that stuff, you know, so. The coolest band that, that visited uh, Liverpool from out of town would be the Human League, the first Human League. Right. With um, Phil Oakey. So Phil, we, we know, would like the, just the one. Right, the one's hair. One yeah. sort of curtain, a curtain of black hair. And the other guys just like hiding behind like suicide, like, like the suicide, like, uh, you know, Vega and Rev kind of hiding behind a screen. But they were they were just so cool, and nobody was really paying much attention to. Them. Where where are they from again? I thought it was from Sheffield. Was there other? Where's the Human League thing with Sheffield? What's that connection? Sheffield, uh, Clock DVA, Human League, um, ABC, Martin Fry. Yeah, they kind of had like this kind of cult, higher cultural thing going through them. You know, this kind of bigger dream somehow some real crooners yeah really crooning <laughs> yeah. never close your eyes <laughs> uh, that kind of you know phil was a real crooner and still is probably and yet he was a real synth geek as well you know massive synth geek he has all the early models we just like really hit it off with those guys and also like uh, the cults that they were called southern death cult then and we used, to, we used to play at Sabutio in, in bedrooms, in hotel rooms, rather. Um, in the early days, I suppose we, we were kind of not so crazy. So we did things like, you know, play cards or play Monopoly or, you know, what should we play tonight? Whose room are we in? Oh, yeah. well, that's nice. Yeah. And then we got started getting thrown out of hotels and then we got bad. <laughs> we we used to have like a little super eight projector and watch uh you know like nosferatu on the wall of the hotel and stuff 
You brought a projector around on tour? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew, it, who was in, when we did 17 seconds, he was in for like one album. He was a real film geek, so he would bring like this Super 8 projector and stuff. Yeah. Robert's always been up on cameras and stuff as well. He likes to film a lot of things. How many people have been in The Cure, do you, do you think? 13, I think. 13, yeah. 13. That's not bad. That's like regular. It's like one one extra for every every person, but all the drummers, nearly all the drummers, have been Aquarians, Ooh. which is strange. Yeah. I would hope that they used Aquarian heads. Drummers. Ooh. Well, yes, yeah, I did insist on it. Yeah, and yeah, but it's um, it's funny. I was thinking about what you said earlier on about the um the Sears guitar. Yeah, yeah. Robert had when we started. He had a he had a Woolworths guitar, which was like. 20 pounds and and when he got his first bit of money you know coming from records he went to this big guitar shop in denmark street you'll remember denmark street right and and andy's he went to andy's and he had these two jazz masters like his fender jazz masters that he bought and he thought oh they're really great and he took them in to get them sort of set up and stuff and he gave them the guitars and then he gave them the woolworths guitar and he said take the pickups off of the Woolworths guitar and put them in between the two pickups on the Fender, you know, on both of them. Put, put one Woolworths pickup on both of them. And they, they looked at him like, you are mad. Why, why do you want this, you know, this horrible Woolworths pickup that costs like, you know, 15 cents or something and put it on his guitar. But if you look at some of the pictures, he's, he had it for years, you know, like it would go from this sort of lush jazz chorus sound to like this... Oh, I thought you meant it was only for sentimental reasons, not for music. Oh no, no, he wanted it to play that sound. That was his. That he was. He's very attached to his sounds. You know, it's like still, still today, really. But um, yeah, it was very, it was yeah, very funny. Yeah. Like I didn't take the top off the Maxwing kit and no, say, thanks. "Please put that on my uh, new top of the line pearl kit." No, I'm not. I'm When did you break free of the Long Island gang? Just when I started going to college. So it was like a physical thing. So that was Long Island. And I went to, to um, whatever, or I guess you'd call it university uh, uh, in New York City. So it was just a simple thing of I just moved to a different place. But I remained friends with all those guys. I mean, we still text each other and talk about music. And um, right. uh, even though I wasn't in bands with them, I, I stayed friends with them. But just lo yeah, location wise, I just kept moving and stuff. How long were you in New York before we met? Oh, you and I? <laughs> yes, because you showed me a video, a little little clip when we were recording. We were recording the video for "We Got to Move." That was 1998, and that is really so. For those of you listening, um, uh, Budgie was a part of my entryway into doing comedy. I was a drummer in bands for a long time, and I was in Chicago. And then I made this video uh, of me like interviewing um, different musicians and bands as different characters. And one of them was Susie and Budgie. I just, I dressed up as this character who like just had rabbit teeth and didn't say anything. So the, so the interview is just like me with a microphone and I put the microphone to their face and I looked surprised the whole time. That's right. And it made the video, it was in it. And um, 
uh, I thought you guys were really nice. You guys were like, but you, you kind of even hugged me a little bit. You hugged my shoulder and you're like, yeah, you're like, rabbit, I rabbit. And then you say like, got to go now. We got to go. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was awesome. Got to go. Yeah. I remembered it. When you showed it to me, I remembered. And it's funny how you, you're transported immediately right back through time to that moment. If you don't remember it, you just don't remember But that was, so thank you for that. Thank you for, uh, you know, because you allowed us to interview you. It wasn't like, uh, we didn't sort of barge in. We were backstage at your show at Cabaret Metro in Chicago. And, um, and Susie was so nice and it was awesome. I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. I hope she gets to see it someday. <laughs> well, she'll remember it, I think. Yeah. There's some uh, things you see on YouTube you don't, you wish you did, you know, I, and that's definitely not me, that can't be. Have you got any of those, the things in the closet that kind of come out? Oh my, I have some, I have somewhere I'm like, what was I even promoting? <laughs> so I'll be on some show or something or some interview, and in the moment, I'm dressed up in a way that's like, oh, we got to support this project, this whatever it was. <laughs> movie or TV show and I'm like I have no idea what that's for <laughs> what is that an animated thing I did why am I so excited and then you know it's just a, it's just a project that like in the moment there's momentum behind it like we got to get you out there and you got to talk <laughs> about it and this is the director and this is the you know and this is who did the music and then I look back and there's so many of those I mean it's really nice to be invited to do stuff but yeah for real, there's stuff I'm like, I don't even remember what that was. What, what what character was I in that? No idea. When Where did it change then? Where did it all kind of suddenly be, pull together and become something real that was really your creation? And it, it was pretty much immediately after that videotape that I was telling you about where I interviewed all those bands. Suddenly I, I was um, asked to do more comedy gigs uh, than music. All of a sudden... <laughs> Really, really quickly, that's 1998. By 99 or so, uh, companies would ask me, will you, whatever, host this thing or be on this show? And really quickly, I, I, my occupation was comedian. Um, so jumping off from then. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of, of yourself? This is the only question I thought about before we talked today. Uh, do you see yourself as a, a comedic drummer or, or, or a musical comedian? Do, which way do you see yourself more or, or, or doesn't it matter to you? I feel like I'm mostly a comedian and then music is a big part of it. Just like if there's a comedian who uses magic or something or... Or for me, I'm like, well, I guess the thing that I utilize and speak to the most is being a musician, talking about bands, talking about listening to music. So it kind of works out. Like a lot of the characters I do um, play instruments. And then I've done a couple of shows where we parody musical styles. So I've written like parody versions of whoever, Talking Heads or something and uh, or the Eagles or something. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say mostly comedian, 
but through music. Is it something that we we go? Are we just kind of one one step removed each time? Do you think most drummers of the com- comedians of the band? Yeah, certainly, definitely, definitely. I, I definitely think that because of the instrument we chose, it's a really weird instrument to pick to be in a band. And there's something even comedic in that because it's so silly that like like I want to play the instrument where I got to carry around cymbals, rack tom, kick drum. <laughs> It's a weird choice. Isn't it? It is weird. Yeah. I've got to be the f- the first one at the gig and the last one to leave. And I want to sit in the back. Oh, yeah. It's a weird, you know, like, if you want to be in a band, why is that your choice? And all the other people have microphones. Yeah, they all have microphones. But I know, I remember Lol with a cure, and he was the first person I saw who bent down to his snare drum and was going... Through the snare drum, Mike. Uh, yeah. Listen, could you just listen to me? From uh, I can't hear anything up here. <laughs> like, everybody's going. Who's talking? <laughs> Who's saying that? Oh, is that you? And because uh, there's nobody on the mics at the front of the stage, but the only one you have access to is the one on the snare. Drum. Yeah, but we we also have to get over that that bit as well that comes comes with it that like you know people when they come and see a band they obviously they they look at the singer that's what they're you know focused on and they don't really unless they're drummers themselves they don't really notice the drums unless they go wrong yeah, yeah. and they don't know what it is that's going wrong they're like ah, some, something feels wrong you know i can't understand what it is they don't know you know and, and uh so that that's always strange to me it, it it's like when the drums when the drums stop and they're not supposed to because that that happened to me with my first susie in the banshees gig uh, you would be probably backstage somewhere lol it was lester <laughs> de montford hall it's my first show oh that's so painful yeah i was i remember thinking he stopped he's not supposed to stop there i stopped no i i, I got all the all the stops they were all in my head but i thought hang on is this that's the guitar the guitar stops, right? And then I must, like, carry on going. Oh, that's the worst. Or is it the guitar stops and I stop too? And it was <laughs> one of those moments and I went, stop too. And the, and the audience were going, ba-ba-ga-ba-ba. Yeah, op- opposite is bad too. Yeah. Where everyone's supposed to stop and you, <laughs> you, you yeah, you, you keep going. is terrible. <laughs> oh, it's because people really look at you. Yeah. Yeah. We had a power cut once. I think somebody was playing with a ball and it hit the trip switch over on the side of the stage and all the power went off. It. And so it cost the only thing that carries going is in a, in a, a, in a, a loud electric band is the drum kit, which is going boom, jam, boom, jam, And um, yeah, the audience just get off on the drum kit. So I thought, yeah. this is not a bad gig. You know, we can always keep somebody moving. You know, yeah, and also sometimes it can it can work in your favour because, like, we had not yet recorded um, "Hanging Garden" on pornography, and the first time we played it live was at this festival in France. And like halfway through the song, I was like, "My arms can't do this anymore. I'm just going to slow down, so, and so they can relax a little bit, and then I'll speed it back up, and we'll go in and." Robert and Simon will know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so I started to do that, like, and they sort of turn around the pair of them, like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I just like, 
Go roll with it, roll with it, speed back up again, play this song. And people came back afterwards like, I really like that song uh, that uh, you, you, know, you slow down in the middle and then you speed up again. And it, it was great. The one that slowed down. How do you do that now? If you have a, if you have a click track in the studio, I mean, how do you suddenly decide, ah, we should slow down here? And the click's going, dip, 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 dip. Can't, can't do it, right? No. You, you have to do it with mind over matter. Yep. You just dig in and go, fuck the grid. <laughs> you can also just stop and then ask the engineer like can you just loop what i just played i don't feel like playing it anymore. <laughs> yeah, just loop it it's fine i mean i never played to a click anyway we just sort of routine things so well that in the end it was like it was embedded in there you know it was it's like i couldn't do it any other way but um i don't know i liked being inside that that part of it all you know so the the click would have been a distraction to me, I think. You know. Let's put a let's put a click on this track. Cue the music. I wonder how perfect that was. I'm going to play a drum at the beginning of a drum uh, of a song. I'll even give you, I'll even give you a hint. I think it's from maybe 1981. Not ant music. Nope. Close. You're nope. really close. Close. Yep. Oh. This is a related band. Bow wow wow. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. C thirty C sixty C thirty. Go. C thirty C sixty C ninety. Go. I was doing. Uh, I want candy. I want candy. That's okay, because they did the same beat for each song. I know. Uh, that, right? I okay. We were just talking, Adam and the Ants, the other day. I, I, seminal, seminal beats. Yeah, because I, I was telling somebody that I, I was at the Hammersmith Odeon one night, and Adam came up to me and said, I'm going to do a new version of the Ants. We're going to have two drummers. Do you want to come and uh, do it, Low? And I said, uh, I've, I've got my own band at the moment, Adam. It's all right. So I escaped having the wow the and the funny hair. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, I think I made the right choice in the end. But King, Kings of the Wild Frontiers, that's, that's a good album. Yeah. There's yeah. some good There's some good drumming on it, some interesting songs. Yeah. I like that album. No, he, he was good. But yes, you made you made the right choice. Yeah, thank you. But also, yeah, I could have I could have been fun with the pirate costume uh, for a while. I'm, I'm, let me try to think of one. I'm trying to think of one. Um, um, I I always thought there should be like a, um, a you know I think on the radio of just drum in, drum intros, like one. We're going back to 1973, probably, but is, we've mentioned his name already in uh, in this thing. Is it fire, Fireball? Is it Fireball, maybe? Fireball? Yeah. You, you, you've got it. <laughs> here's, here's one from 1982. Black, 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 black. 
Okay. That's on snare. Is it like the specials? Well, it's the police. Oh, don't stand so close to me. Oh, no, no. Driven to tears. But don't go, 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 Stuart Copeland. So the first three songs you ever learned how to play, I know what they were for us because we, we bought the sheet music for them and we l- tried to learn how to play them. Uh-huh. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard, Paul Simon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Procol Harum, White as Shade of Pale, and um, Heart of Gold, Neil Young. Robert will deny all these, but I was there. I know it's what we learned. That was boom, boom, ch- boom, boom, ch- <laughs> Oh, yeah, boom, yeah. Ch- <laughs> when I when I was I was playing with John Grant, and this is no uh, you know discredit to John. Um, when I was trying to write down what should the, the drum be, be there quite a lot of them were that simple, um, just different tempos. And I would write hog, you know, next to the song hog is my code, heart of gold. All right. That's why we did it because it was it was easy for me to play. You know, I was like fifteen and I could play that. Yeah, the the guys came to me in, in this little cabaret band. I was about fourteen, and they'd learned a lot of um, Cliff Richard and the Shadows. So Cliff was like a, an English Elvis kind of guy. And the Shadows had Hank Marvin, who was a, quite a lot guitarist go-to you know, after Burt Whedon. Yeah. Um, and Bobby Bennett was the drummer, I think, with the Shadows. Or Baby, Billy. Bobby, I think it's Bobby Bennett. And uh, they had a song called Apache, mm-hmm. which had this kind of faux uh, Native American Indian drum. Bum, 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 dun, 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 so and then it goes into this kind of jazzy feel. It's like I'd never get down, but I love that thumping floor tom thing. So I got that one. And then they had there was then I had Safari's wipeout. They wanted to do that in the set. And I had I had the wrong sticks for it. <laughs> I had the wrong drums, the wrong sticks, and the wrong hands. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy I read recently, he's playing a paradiddle. You know, of course he is. I didn't know it was a paradiddle. And I'm going, it's like single stroke rolling it. And I'm just, I'm just seizing up. I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. Wow. He was doing, he was doing a drum rudiment in rehearsal. And the guys in the band went, that sounds good. What's that? He goes like, just warming up. That kind of thing. And I'm going, what? And so that's how, that's how Wipeout came to be. He was doing a drum rudiment. I knew nothing about drum rudiments. No. So I just thought that's, that's that. that. That kind of thing. And uh, what was the third one? Ooh, it would have been I Can't Stop Loving You, something like that, which that one of those fills, you know, you had to figure out how to do the fill. So it's had to come a half after it's under the vocal. So it's dun, 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 dun. I can't stop. But the drums have to come underneath the I on the C of can't. <laughs> right. Otherwise you're uh, can't. 
<laughs> I, I knew what I wanted to sound like, but the drums were not giving it to me. So that, that was the quest. How to make this fill sound as crazy as John Bonham on a little Olympic plastic-headed drum kit. It was, that was a mind boggle. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Fred. Um, I remember I learned the fill to Tell Me Why by the Beatles. So I was thrilled with myself. Like that. Like, whoa. And then <laughs> interchangeably, because you know how this is with the drums with Won't Get Fooled Again and Baba O'Reilly? They're the same idea. So I think I remember trying to copy that. I, I don't remember which was which, but I also won't get fooled again, you know. So, like, for the kick drum, you do the the rack time in front of you. So somewhere in there, somewhere between those two who songs was the, the other two. Because it, it, it all makes sense. It all makes sense because, like, I can listen to, like, I found an old box of records the other day and was playing them and, like, there's things in there that's exactly where our sound came from, but they're not even things that I would think automatically. There's like records by Eric Burden and stuff, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, that's why I play the kick drum that way, you know, because because of that, you know, just weird things. Thinking of thinking of um, thinking of kick drums, this is a good a good geek out. Um, do, do either of you know is is the bass drum pattern on Led Zeppelin's John Bonham when the levee breaks? Is it a repeat or is it played? I would say it's, I'm guessing it's played. Yeah, I think it's played. Yeah. Because I don't think they would have had the technology back then to make the time. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely played, right? Yeah. It's played. So I wanted to get that down. And when I finally got it down, that's the beat on Night Shift on Juju. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I don't do the turnaround, just bubbled, get bubbled, get bubbled. <laughs> and I love that. I just, I love the way I slipped it in and never told anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, the best bit on that record for me is, is your ride symbol. It's just like hovering over the whole thing. Like just, you know, like it's just like this big cloud of despair, like hovering. I love it. Do you ever wonder what happened to certain things, be it like something that made a sound that for you, like that symbol? Or was it just just because of the way they put the mic on it? You know, I know what happened to all of mine. They all got lost in uh, uh, John Henry's, John Henry's lockup. They all disappeared into the black hole of there forever. Fred, any, any, uh, any items close to your heart that you wish you still had around? I miss... I miss um, drum electronic drum pads that were specific to one or two sounds. So there was a time where you can get like a, a pad that only did different snares, and I like that. I like that limitation. They don't. I just don't think they sell them anymore. But I remember being thrilled, like whoa. And that was it. And the one that went. Boom. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Keep it limited. I had the I had the the Sinair one that was like the metal shell with the speaker in underneath it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. was what that did. It only did that like, or some kind of white noise sound, and it was great. 
but it only lasted for about six months before the speaker just disintegrated because you're hitting it all the time. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. Red, what's coming up next? Uh, I'm doing some live shows. I'll be in England. Uh-huh. I do this like stand-up that's like, um, I just talk about instruments and drumming. I do impressions and stuff and talk about guitar chords and that, that's what I'm most looking forward to. Is that like the show that I saw you at in uh, LA a few months ago? Yeah. Yes. Pretty much that. That's yeah. great. That's absolutely great. We love you, Fred. We love you. We we think you're like so good. Uh, I I love you too. <laughs> now we're kind of in a band together. Yeah. At least visually. Yeah, we're sort of in a band and it's okay. And people people will watch that. Like if you're ten years old and you watch that video people would think they would a 10 year old would think that we're all in the band together that's right with isaac yes you're isaac yep we did it we'll see you on the road somewhere we'll see you on the road curious creatures is presented by lol tolhurst and budgie producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio design, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Associate producer and digital marketing, Marge Taylor. Visual designer, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2024.